0: you're talking about somebody who in 1946 is elected to Congress, in 1950 is elected to the U.S. Senate, and then two years later is on a winning ticket as Vice President of the United States.
1: Welcome to Primary Sources, a podcast produced by East Tennessee State University that highlights the important research happening at ETSU. Joining us today on Primary Sources is Dr. John David Briley. He is an associate professor in the Department of Political Science, International Affairs, and Public Administration. Dr. Briley's research interests are vast, and he has published on a range of topics. He has written about American politics, foreign policy, the relationship between politics and sports, and trade policy. Football fans might be interested to know that Dr. Briley was once a student athletic trainer under legendary coach Paul Bear Bryant at the University of Alabama. In fact, Dr. Briley wrote a well-received book titled Career in Crisis, Paul Bear Bryant and the 1971 Season of Change. Dr. Briley's most recent book focused on Richard Nixon's presidential campaign of 1968. Nixon Rebuilds from Defeat to the White House, 1962 to 1968, fills a critical gap in the scholarship on Nixon by exploring the ex-president's reinvention of himself in the mid-1960s. At ETSU, Dr. Briley has taught a range of courses, including American Government and Politics, Southern Politics, and Public Administration and American Political Thought. Dr. Briley earned all of his degrees from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He received his PhD in Political Science. Dr. Briley, thank you for being here with us today.
0: Thanks, I appreciate it.
1: So to start off, for the football fans out there, tell us a little bit about your experience working under Paul Bear Bryant uh, and the book you wrote about Alabama football.
0: My mother's from Alabama. She's like, well, why the interest? I grew up in Middle Tennessee and obviously you know, a, a big, quote-unquote, Alabama fan. The story, the story with Bryant, I mean, it was out there, but nobody had ever done anything on his, basically, his first integrated team. And the whole, and it's much the connection through my mother and all of, really, all of her relatives that I knew were from Alabama growing up. But I mean, I had a lot of interest in Bryant. I did start college there. I was a uh, athletic trainer, it was a lot of work. And I you know didn't stay there, got homesick, but it had nothing to do with that particular experience. But it was quite an experience, and uh, Bryant, Bryant, I mean, and the comparisons you know there there're clearly some comparisons between Bryant and nixon even though they're whole they're people who who i mean Bryant probably came up harder but nixon always had they both had to work very hard to be you know at the kind of the top of their game if you will
1: yeah and you mentioned nixon yeah you know, your most recent book covers nixon's 1968 presidential campaign even though he resigned the presidency nearly 50 years ago he remains something of an enigma. There are movies, articles, books still coming out about him. What was it about Nixon that prompted you to write this book?
0: It's actually the same kind of story. You know, Bryant's book was at one, on one level, was the uniqueness in his reach, his having integrating at a particular place in time in college football, but it's also a big comeback story. Bryant had had a lot of success. And then his career had slid a bit, you know. His comeback, and this is this is Nixon's comeback. Nixon, who, and if you think about it, this is this comeback period in his ad- advancing up the ladder period. I mean, you're talking about somebody who, in 1946, is elected to Congress, in 1950 is elected to the U.S. Senate, and then two years later is on a winning ticket and vice president of the United States his career rise was once into into politics. Now, in terms of, you know, him growing up, it was was difficult. I'm not gonna say he was poor, but I guess we would probably call it working class, if you will, okay? And he certainly had to work, he had to work hard. Essentially, what he was, and I think we talked about this before, that, you know, he was an inner-directed person, clearly an intellectual, On the one hand, this, on the other hand, that. Always very analytical. But he was somebody who, who, once he set particular goals, he was very goal-directed. He had lost, obviously, by inches in 1960. And see, he comes back to California. And the California, in that 15-year period, is not the exact same California he left. And he's still itching, if you will, politically. He gets in a law firm. Now, he had, been, he had practiced for about two years. Well, really, about a couple of years, and then the war, and then part of another year before he became Congress. So he was an initiative in a, in a law firm. I don't talk about that. That's 61, 62. But he's, he's trying to figure out where he's going to go. When he ran for governor in 62, it was not something that he was totally in on. Yeah, I think the, the best way to describe it, he let others talk him into it. Mm. He lost, that's also kind of the last, in the final run up to that particular election was the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, which kind of diverted obviously a lot of attention, mm-hmm. hindsight maybe, but it, he certainly knew it at the time he couldn't get in the final. And then lost, and then it was, well, what am I gonna do next?
1: Yeah. Well, I know you did a tremendous amount of research for this book. You visited the, the Nixon Library. I'm sure our listeners would also like to know you interviewed a lot of people who worked for Nixon. So tell us a little bit about that. I interviewed 20 people who actually worked for him. I was kind of
0: the most prominent being Dwight Chapin, Pat Buchanan. But I had access to a lot of oral histories and other interviews. At the Nixon Library. They've digitized all this now and they hadn't at the time, but they have quite an extensive library with people who actually worked for him. So you know you have that, but you know I was also obviously the focus, and doing research like this was not. I had had some familiarity with it, but none of the kind of knowledge or, or basis of knowledge that I had five or six years later. I knew what I kind of wanted to do, but dealing with archives. Yeah. And it's different. (laughs) It's a lot different to contrast with the Bryant book. I did, I don't know, 70 interviews and 60 plus were in person. All of Bryant's staff that was live, which is all but one at the time, and all of his players during that late 60s, early 70s period. But here, you know, I didn't have that. And I also went to the. I spent two days at the Johnson Library. I spent two days at the George Bush Senior Library. I spent two days at the Truman Library. I spent, I guess, four and a half at the Eisenhower Library. Who am I leaving out? (laughs) Two days at the Ford Library. And again, there's trying to get a sense, looking at their Nixon files. I just kind of really touched the surface in these others when i started this project in the summer late summer of 2010 a whole new collection had just been released two months earlier and it's his wilderness period it's so much material and i think if i didn't mention this before just that particular period you could spend a couple of decades on but Time constraints and going up my own learning curve on this—you had to come to an end sometimes. Sure kind of thing. But it was there was a well, there was a couple of Nixon events in between there in January of 2013 that was widely attended at the Mayflower Hotel. You probably heard of that because Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon. They all had their inauguration parties there. One of the older hotels, but it was for his 100th birthday. Met several people. I met his brother, talked to his brother three different times. Younger brother, which I knew nothing about. I'm nearly, what, 19 years difference. Yeah. He he had just died in the last three or four years, but he was an engineer out west of Seattle. Looked a lot like him. (laughs) yeah Uh, younger version but
1: you are a political scientist I am and in that spirit uh, let's shift a little bit to current political events okay as you know commentators across the nation have noted the somewhat bizarre time we're living in politically whatever you think of him Donald Trump was not a traditional politician (laughs) yet he won the White House in 2016 COVID-19 has affected politics in a lot of ways As a political scientist, is there a a time in the past that is similar to what we're living through now, or are we in pretty uncharted territory?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly there's parallels of people winning elections. I I don't know. I mean, maybe Andrew Jackson. But the difference was that Jackson, who was a military hero, and almost won four years earlier, and he was a populist. So there have been certainly populists both sides of the ideological. Uh, something that at least in my experience and studies and research and wide accumulation of information over time, elections, that oftentimes, I mean, every time a president is replaced, either by, you know, four years, eight years, five years, six years, the person is either benefiting from being associated with, I think of Bush Sr., and no knock on him, or there's a great deal of controversy and playing off maybe the the perception of mistakes. Could Jimmy Carter in 1976, after Watergate, after Vietnam, and so much in kind of that 10, 12, 15-year period of events and access to information that people hadn't had before Yeah. and the perception of, of maybe how dirty and nasty politics was and then you have Jimmy Carter I'll never lie to you with a guy like Donald Trump was he a Democrat or Republican before that? I think he was both one thing that obviously helped him during uh, <laughs> this winnowing out process here. Well, I don't know. Was it thirteen? Was it fifteen? How many pro- initially were Republicans running?
1: Several. It was a slew of them.
0: I think every everybody. I mean, say everybody. A great deal of people were kind of surprised. Maybe a lot of people weren't surprised. I know that I had a conversation with Pat Buchanan in. This is obviously had nothing to do with my book, but it was during 2016. It was in September because I was actually at his house. And I had been to another event and met a person who had some access to some Nixon-type material, talking about the phenomenon of Trump. And this was still to where there was at least 12, 12 of them. I mean, Jeb Bush was still thought as the front runner. And his response to me was, basically, there's going to be two or three, and Trump's going to be one of them. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, how in the world, Republican Party? At the time, that was kind of my first instinct, that the Republican Party, (laughs) the more status quo party, for somebody like Donald Trump, but obviously the press, just for better or worse, just likes to stick to him and he doesn't have really the discipline <laughs> and he's liable to say anything and it's good print. And the fact that he was able to win, it was a different point in time. I know that it was discussed in several of my classes in the spring of 16. and. If I'm not exactly right on the numbers, I know I'm within 5% on the likability issue. I think both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were maybe at 50% or below 50%, and I don't think it ever changed.
1: We're recording this podcast in mid-October. We're approaching a midterm election, as most Americans know. Republicans and Democrats right now are, are fighting it out to see who's going to control the House and the Senate. Do you have any predictions about who's going to be successful? <laughs> My
0: sense is this is, I'm kind of a conventional wisdom person, obviously the, the out party tends to be more motivated, in this case the Republican. And the House, it's so incredibly close now, what is it, six seats or something? I think clearly the Republicans will take the House. I think it's a, it's a 50-50 in the Senate, but that's kind of where we are right now. And th- this is the thing with polling, I and mean, I'm certainly not a pollster, okay. I mean, I generally understand it. And it's all about turnout. If we think about this year, and I don't know, let's say go back to the spring, I think the conventional wisdom was that the Republicans are going to take both houses. That the president was not that popular, and I think he's at 43 right now. I think he needs been to 40, 39, or 40. And then had kind of a, a comeback there in late summer. It's kind of where we
1: are. That sounds fascinating. Dr. Briley. thank you for being here.
0: Okay, appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to Primary Sources. Our theme music was created by students of Martin Walters, a member of ETSU's Department of Music. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with friends and colleagues.